Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back to another adventure in history. We are well into February and getting ready to celebrate a very important national holiday. Tomorrow. Groundhog Day? No. Oh, we already celebrated that. Valentine's Day, that was last week. That was fun. (laughs) President's Day. President's Day. Yeah, just in case it's not a holiday at your it workplace. <laughs> it's never a holiday. We're off, I know. Because people are off school. They're off I love work. Yep. Not everyone's they're, off work, though. Their bank is closed. Yeah, so, but you know. banks, you guys. Yep. Post so, office. Post it so they can come and, and visit the, the museums. I love it. So we're, we're, always, we're always here for our, our museum-going friends. Always. Always, except on the days that you're closed. The few days that we're closed. Some days, yes. Yes. So, well, good. all right. So let's see. Do we have anything to cover? We didn't talk about the Super Bowl. No, because we didn't want to give it away. It was going on. It was so, ex- it and was we had fun. a guest. We did. So. You know, I, I want to start getting into promoting more of our podcasts and maybe we can reach out to our listening audience. Um, how could we best promote some of your favorite podcasts? Like, should we do a poll? Should no. we um, like where should we post them? Right now, mm. we share them. How do we share them? Well, I share them on my social you share media them on account. Social media. But I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> That's sad. I mean, you're just barely, you, have, you barely you, make the cut, Mac, and have, it's, it's not even you. You have a lot of friends. Your wife made the cut, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because she's more But George media. Flavel, George Flavel is a well-known public figure. He, he is. He shares them. He does occasionally, not all the time. You can also go to KMUN slash podcasts. That's right. Because we have so many great ones. I want to, I mean, we always say we should go back and interview people again, but Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, people could just listen again. Yes, indeed. They could. Because we have some great ones. So we should, we should, we we need to to noodle on as the kids say. So I throw that out there, folks. How how to promote. Yeah. How to promote. Then we could have a contest of some kind. And then, yeah, maybe bring some people back for like Mm -hmm. quick little updates. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I so, digress. So we did something fun for Valentine's Day. Ooh, what'd you do? We we actually we we've been there, but we've never like actually stayed for a while. We went to um, Timberline Lodge and had dinner. Oh, I love that. It was an experience. Okay, well, it, it, was, was, ex- it was expensive, but it, well, yes. it, for for the check the box, we've done it. <laughs> it was, was it, it was entertaining. Blue sky, like gorgeous, or was it snowing? No, it was actually uh, before it snowed. We went okay. on the weekend. Um, but it was the place was packed, and we went. We we ate late, so it was dark. Okay, but still, but it was still fun. When I mean, we went up; it was light. But there was snow there. Oh yeah, tons of I snow. Mean, yeah, lots yeah, tons. and lots of snow. <laughs> How's the how is it driving all the way up there? It was okay. Yeah, yeah, the road's pretty clear. <laughs> pretty clear. Yeah, I don't I don't know how often they sand it, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it's apparent that there is traffic on yeah. the on the road. The Odot Way Station so. or Standing Station is at the bottom of the hill yes. of of going up to Timberline Lodge. So it, I mean, it's pretty. Well loved, I think. Yeah, 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 I think so too. It was entertaining, Good. and uh, you know the history of it. And FDR was there to uh, to dedicate it. Ooh, was he? Yeah, and they had to make him. A, they, they had to make him a special chair. He requested it late that he wanted a chair with arms in it. <laughs> okay. And none of their chairs had arms, oh, so the, the carpenter, one of the carpenters on staff at the time, had to quickly make a chair with with arms on it. Quickly, wow, yes. that like, is quite a like, request. He had like a day to do it. And then you're the one who told me that 
the, it's just the Shining, the Shining wasn't yes, actually filmed, filmed there? Not or? the entire thing, but it just, is featured. There's a flyover at the beginning. Okay. So that's what makes it technically an Oregon film. Okay. And then, uh, you know, the front of the building. Because they also, say it's in the lodge, yeah. right? But it's really not. It's no. in a, like a studio, movie yeah. studio. Uh, well, the, I believe they filmed in uh, like Estes Park, Colorado. Okay. But uh, it's on screen. I think Timberline Lodge is on in Oregon is on screen for like two minutes. Oh, funny. Um, like when he runs out at the end into the, the maze, they, they actually come out of the front of Timberline Lodge. I have never seen this movie, Mac, because oh I'm terrified of scary movies. And then scary. the fact that I've actually been in the lodge, I'm like, no, yes. I, I, of course I don't want to like <laughs> see something where I'm going to like actually uh, go there. But it's probably one of the surprise movies when people come to the film museum. They're okay. like, what? The Shining? Right? A very, po- I mean, very, very well yeah. known. And it's usually kind of our, our introduction to, it's not the Astoria Film Museum, it's the Oregon Film Museum. Right. So many movies. Because they're like, it was filmed here in Astoria? And we're like, no, filmed in Oregon. Thank right. you. <laughs> so, But it was fun. Um, Timberline Lodge, highly recommend it. So last question though. So what did you order? Like steak? Was it steak and like uh, great dessert? Or? Steak and then um, raviolis. Ooh, oh, yes. Yeah, and it's like a five cor- a four-course meal. Oh, I love it. Although we did find it amusing. They bring you bread as a course. <laughs> that's one of the... Oh, and then they so bring you, funny. right after the bread, a palate cleanser. <laughs> or oh. like to clean the bread. bread. Really? Oh, that's... There's not a lot of flavor in the bread, so... And they call that a four-course? Oh, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah, it was no. kind of interesting. Our local restaurants would not do that. No. No. <laughs> no, and thinking back to the days when the historical society did the five-course... Oh. Holiday dinner. Oh, wow. Well, now <laughs> you, you like, could well, have done that. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, come on. <laughs> Maybe you so. were six courses. <laughs> Maybe. All right. But we stopped doing the holiday dinner years ago. Okay. All right. So, because um, we got some President's Day stuff. Yes. Shall we get to the history highlights, though? Let's do it. February 20th, <clears throat> 1872, hydraulic electric elevator is patented Ooh. by Cyrus Baldwin. Okay. Elevators. I like elevators. I do too. 1872, also the same year as the last one, Luther Crowell patents a machine that manufactures paper bags. Also very useful. They are. Yeah. And and you can carry more things in your paper bags in the elevator. Easier to get all of the stuff up, <laughs> right. upstairs. 1872 as well. Three things on the same day. Okay. New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art opens. The Met. The Met. Nice. And we've discussed the Met once before. You've never been there. Nope. Okay. And, no. and I've been there. It's on the bucket list. It's good, but I was disappointed. Oh, Because my daughter wanted to see something specific. Oh. And they could not tell her. They, they It was checked that it was on exhibit, but they didn't know where, which room. Oh, man. And, and we went searching because she wanted to see this one certain specific painting by an artist that she likes. And all they could tell was, yes, it's on exhibit, but we're not sure where. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's massive. I it mean, is massive. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like going. Quite a collection. They said, well, we think it's on floor whatever on the east side. And so we're running through like eight different galleries looking for it. Right. Wow. All right. 1949. The first international pancake race is held in liberal Kansas. Liberal Kansas. Yes. Oh, interesting. Pan- so I had to Google this one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a... a copycat of something they do in Europe somewhere, but it's women, at least the one in Kansas, and they still do this. Uh, you can see like news reports about it if you Google it. So it's the uh, International Pancake Race in Kansas. It's women, and they're dressed like they're 
like oldie timey working in a restaurant. Oh, funny. And they have to run with a frying pan with oh an actual gosh. pancake in it. Oh, wow. And you cannot drop the pancake. Now, I was disappointed <clears throat> at the end that they don't have to like flip the pancake. <laughs> and I was thinking, and why I Googled it, like maybe they're running as they're flipping the pancake. <laughs> but no, they're just running really fast, holding kind of like with their thumbs, most of them are holding the, and, and the, some of the video that I watched, this poor woman was like way out in front of everybody and then she dropped her pancake. Oh, oh no. Well. And she had to stop and get it and like they went right past her. She would have won. Tortoise in the hair. Yep. yep. Uh, 1962. This was almost going to be my history highlight of the day. John Glenn becomes the first American to orbit the earth. That is a very important one. Yeah. I wonder if it was in a spy balloon. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. A, it was a weather balloon. It was. That's right. <laughs> Which I just have to ask: Where is the space force? I I, I have so many questions about all <laughs> we, of those stories. We, we don't. We don't do modern right. stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. But our history highlight of the day thing I think had the most impact. 1792, President George Washington, or GW as I call him, signs legislation renewing the United States Post Office as a cabinet department led by the Postmaster General guaranteeing inexpensive delivery of all newspapers, stipulating the right to privacy and granting Congress the ability to expand postal service to new areas of the nation. The post office. Yeah, it's a big deal. You know I love the post office. Yes, we do. You didn't miss anything today. I didn't miss anything. I know, there wasn't very much. There, there wasn't a lot. because it's, it's a holiday, maybe. Everyone's... They were all taking the day off. Exactly. Before it was a holiday, they were still taking it off. But I love that three of those things were 1872, the same year. Yeah. Isn't that Interesting. weird? Interesting. Okay, so since it is President's Day, yes, we thought we'd do a little thing on presidents. Let's talk presidents. Now, we did, and, and we actually did a play-along, and I don't think we'll do it this time. Oh. We went through what presidents, their favorite foods. Right. Oh, you're right, and we kept score. We did keep score, yep. and we, I think we decided you eat more like a president than I do. Of course we did. But no, <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course we kept score, or of course you eat more like a president than I do. Both. Okay. <laughs> We're so, both competitive, and I usually win. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. So we, we had such amazing feedback from that program. <laughs> and I can't remember if we did this last year on President's Day. Is that when we did I the food? I think we did. We might have. Actually, well, and if we do, let's find the podcast. We'll share it out there, folks. We, so, yes, you can, you yep, can go I'll to the, look at the podcast, and, and then you could play along. Again. After <laughs> the fact with the food. So we're not going to play along today. No. But I, today, I would not win today. See, I, don't I don't think you would either. See, I would not even yeah. come close to winning today. Um, because we already covered what they ate. Now we're going to cover what they drank. Yep. Because little. we also just had the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you know, I think a lot of people do a little bit of drinking on the Super Bowl. So. It, it does happen. So these are the things that the presidents drink. Okay. And we'll go in order. Okay. So George Washington, GW. At the time of his death, Washington had the largest whiskey distillery in America. Wow. At his Mount Vernon estate. Really? He was making whiskey. However, Washington wasn't much of a drinker by the standards of the time and preferred porter laced with molasses to go mm. with hearty amounts of wine. He also was fond of fish house punch, an insanely strong rum concoction. Huh. Staggeringly, this was considered light drinking in the oh. 1770s. <laughs> the amount of alcohol served at the farewell party that Washington's troops threw him at the city tavern in Philadelphia has become the stuff of legend. According to one document, over 120 bottles of wine, dozens of beers, and seven large bowls of spiked punch <laughs> wow. were consumed. Adjusted for inflation, the tag came to a staggering $15,000. Oh, my goodness. See, the stat that that doesn't include, though, is how many soldiers. That's true. Or how, that, I mean, the bottles were the bottles the same size. I mean... 
That's I a guess. good question. But if that's like 10,000 people, right. then that's not a lot. If it was 20 guys, well, And a tab of 15,000 if it's adjusted. Yeah. But again, I like his porter laced with molasses. That sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. It's probably something that is done, I wonder now. And see, something we have to do keep in mind about our, our, our founding early presidents and colonials, they didn't drink water <laughs> because the water was usually dirty. True, right. Okay. And they didn't know about, like, you know, <laughs> alcohol disease. Pull, pulling things out. <laughs> right. So people, oh. like even kids, would drink beer and other alcoholic beverages. Right, fermented. So yeah. Yep, okay. All right, John Adams, America's second president, started each day in the fashion of times with a couple belts of hard cider. He was also a fan of the popular Portuguese fortified wine, Madeira, enjoyed beer and rum, and even through parties featuring wine laced with rum. In the 1700s, this was remarkably not a problem to drink. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, TJ. Jefferson was a legendary wine merchant, having spent his time in France learning the intricacies of grape growing. He spent thousands on vast quantities of wine, back when that was a gigantic amount of money. He built two of his own vineyards, and even had dumbwaiters put in his house so as to expend minimum effort getting more bottles. <laughs> as far as drinking, Jefferson is reported to have drank three glasses of wine per day, along with the usual cider and beer at meals. Incidentally, he couldn't really afford his vast expenditures of wine and had crushing debt by the end of his life. That's so sad to me. So remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about all the insurrections we've had? Yes. Maybe alcohol had, had a, <laughs> a, you know, was involved in some of these decision-making oh, by did. all these men. You know, I mean, George Washington, one of the first things he had to do as president was put down the whiskey rebellion. Oh, my gosh. So James Madison. Madison is known to have drank a pint of whiskey per day, which by standards of the time wasn't much. He also enjoyed champagne in moderate amounts. His wife, Dolly, threw weekly parties at the White House that could be attended by anyone the Madisons had been introduced to. So it's good to be friends with Dolly. Yeah. James Monroe. Monroe was a light drinker, enjoying red wine and champagne. He also caused a minor scandal when attempting to stock the wine cellar of the new White House using money ostensibly meant to buy furniture. <laughs> well, you know, kegs. People could sit on kegs. Sure, minor, minor scandal. John Quincy Adams, a lover of Madeira and other red wines, Adams was renowned for being a wine snob. Legend has it he once correctly identified 11 out of 14 Madeiras during a blind taste test at a party. I like that somebody must have called him out on it. I know. That they right. had a contest. Or was he just bragging and said, in fact, let's go have a contest Well, right now. or who is going to call him out and say, no, no, you're wrong, Mr. President. That, that's <laughs> true. And I like that like he's the first one that they, they talk about being a snob. Right. Because I kind of would have assumed maybe Thomas Jefferson. Any of them so that, far, it seems like. <laughs> having been you know, in France all that time, oh, I could true. see him like, well, we don't really know how. That's why I'm going to make my own vineyards because we don't know how to do it here. <laughs> so I, I'm surprised that's the first reference to... Okay. Andrew Jackson. So now we know it's going to take a turn. <laughs> Andrew Jackson. <laughs> though, he, though he made and liberally consumed whiskey, Jackson's reputation as a drinker was a bit overstated hmm. when he got to the White House. He did knock back quite a few old hickory cocktails while stationed in New Orleans, though it's not clear if the Vermont Ruth concoction was named after him or if he got his nickname from it. Huh. So the thing, though, about Andrew Jackson, even if he didn't drink, we know there was a crazy party at his inauguration that trashed the White House, <laughs> that he had to jump out the window to escape. It was so crazy. It was like a frat party. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to the house. Hmm. 
Uh, Martin Van Buren, you don't call a man Blue Whiskey Van because he's as sober as a judge. So it went with Martin Van Buren, who is reputed to drink vast quantities of alcohol, including the aforementioned whiskey. <coughs> Excuse me. Van Buren was also a fan of the clear, powerful gin. <coughs> a Dutch gin. <coughs> Go ahead. Read Co- for me. Called Scheidam. <coughs> I don't know if we're pronouncing that right. Probably and, not. and while in the White House, he both served and consumed large amounts of red wine. Van Buren's love of booze and rich food ended up giving him a severe case of gout, which eventually killed him. So I've never heard him referred to as Blue Whiskey uh, Man <laughs> no. before. And I don't know if that's really a nickname for him or not. I like the, the phrase sober as a judge. <laughs> sober as a judge. Uh, William Henry Harrison. While only president for a month, Harrison rode into the White House on a giant barrel of hard cider. <laughs> he used it as a campaign plank to portray himself as the common man as opposed to the wine-sipping dainty Martin Van Buren and gave away vast amounts of it to prospective voters. That's a way to get some (laughs) votes. Remarkably, he also sipped from a jug of the stuff while giving speeches, though this was likely to soothe his vocal cords during his legendary long addresses. I mean, that's what I'm missing today. Maybe that's what it is what you're I missing today. I need a today. giant barrel of hard cider in here. Yeah. You, you almost called in sick. You, you, <laughs> you, you, you before the show, you said, said, I'm recovering, and I don't know if I have a voice for today's My show. voice is gone. So. <laughs> so in case people are wondering if you sound a little You're getting my husky too. voice today. That's <laughs> your husky voice. So I think maybe you should be sipping some... Uh, some hard cider or something yeah. here. But I like that, that he's he's riding into the White House on a giant barrel of hard cider. I, and that he gives it to voters. Yeah. I mean, this becomes a thing too, right? Yeah. Because you don't think of campaigns giving away alcohol, but they do because they have parties, right? Of I course. Mean, so. and, I'm, and I'm always, I always feel badly. <clears throat> like, oh, I want to show how common I am. So I'm going to go to that diner and have a cup right, of coffee with the voters. Or ice cream too, yeah. right? Like... <laughs> Seriously, who doesn't or, like ice cream? Or, or I mean, a, come let's on. Let's have a beer together because I'm just like you. Yeah. And then I'll get in my, <clears throat> my limousine and fly right. on my private plane somewhere. Yeah, so. with my chauffeur at Secret Service. And, and I mean, I, I'm free, I, I freely accept that if you've been a, a governor or a senator and you're running for president, that you've passed beyond being yeah. a normal person. At you're this not point. like me. <laughs> you, yes, you are no longer like me. So I could still vote for you and I could still like you, but don't pretend right. that like you're the one going to your you're grocery normal. store and you're cooking your own dinner at that point. So maybe it happens and I'm just misinformed. Uh, John Tyler. Tyler had a fondness for champagne. He kept whiskey and wine on hand in the White House, but drank very little himself. James K. Polk. As a devoted Presbyterian, he also had kidney stones. Polk drank little. He also banned all alcohol from the White House other than wine and champagne. But he wasn't adverse to bribing voters with alcohol, as was a common practice of the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that we've had a couple of people in a row now that are not really... And that it kind of does go in cycles, it seems. Zachary Taylor, reflecting a newfound strain of temperance in politicians, Taylor rarely rarely drank. He also was known to give people who did drink a hard time. See, that's a little bit of a switch from the previous guys. Right. Millard Fillmore. Fillmore was a teetotaler. Teetotaler. Yep. And took a temperance pledge in his 20s. It's said that even a sip of Madeira left him intoxicated during a presidential visit to London. See, I've always wondered about the presidents who are not drinkers. Right. How how do they get past some of those, I'm going to insult you if I don't drink. Right. You, you other leader that wants us to have a drink together to 
to agree on that final treaty or something. Well, apparently it left him intoxicated. Apparently, Franklin Pierce. Rather than engaging in the convivial convivial drinking of early presidents, Pierce was a full-blown alcoholic who drank oh, no. everything in massive quantities <laughs> to push away the pain in his life. He'd lost three children at an early age, ouch, including one in a horrific train accident that Pierce himself witnessed. He was also perhaps America's worst president. Oh, but that's up to shocking. debate. Shocking. After Pierce was voted out and is said to have remarked, what else is there to do for an ex-president but get drunk? He oh. was dead by the age of 65 of liver disease caused by his drinking. That's oh, kind of sad. That is, yeah. That's but he was a terrible president. <laughs> James Buchanan, a caretaker president. Buchanan was not only a bachelor, but a massive drinker. He guzzled huge amounts of top-shelf wine, sherry, cognac, Madeira, rye, whiskey, and champagne. He was also legendary for his ability to drink heavyweights under the table and avoid hangovers. So he said. So he said. Lincoln. Yeah. I'm curious if we took a poll, how many people would think like Lincoln, did he drink? Did he not drink? Because you don't really hear about it, but you also assume in this time period. I mean, we're into the 1860s now. Lincoln ran a general store that served alcohol in his early days, but that was as far as uh, tipping went for Honest Abe. He was one of America's driest presidents. Interesting. So he had a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's right. Andrew Johnson. Johnson already had a reputation as a drunk when he ascended to the presidency just a month into his term as vice president. In fact, he was smashed when he took the VP's oath. How drunk was he? Well, he drunkenly kissed a Bible, then spoke for 18 minutes rather than the allotted five. Legend has it he was massively hungover and was given two or three belts of whiskey by the outgoing VP as hair of the dog. However, some stories have emerged that Johnson drank whiskey that morning only to treat a severe cold. Once he was in the White House, Johnson drank little. There's little doubt that he truly was totally blitzed when he (laughs) took the vice president's oath. I think that's just his personality. <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying to decide whether it was he had a cold, or, right? But but he there was no doubt he was totally drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ulysses S. Grant. When the Civil War broke out, Grant had a reputation as one of the heaviest drinking officers in the army, <clears throat> legendary for his ability to put down whiskey. But this was more due to Grant's famously low tolerance than mm. heavy boozing. He drank often and had a bad habit of embarrassing himself in front of high-ranking officers. But the volume of his booze intake wasn't as high as his reputation allowed. Once in office, he attempted to curb his alcoholic tendencies by smoking large quantities of cigars because oh, that's so much better and he liberally served champagne at white house parties uh rutherby rutherford b hayes a teetotaler devoted to temperance and married to a fanatical anti-alcohol crusader hayes banned drinking in the white house hmm. and the staff there say no thank goodness yeah right? james a garfield <laughs> one of my favorites garfield wasn't much of a drinker enjoying the occasional beer but little else Andrew Carnegie did honor the new president by sending a case of Duars to the White House, but it's unknown whether Garfield partook. Mm -hmm. Chester Arthur, a widower when he reached the White House, Arthur spent lavishly on feasts, clothes, and booze. He's known to have enjoyed whiskey and Madeira, and when pressed by a women's Christian temperance union member to ban alcohol in the White House, (coughs) he thundered her to mind her own business. (laughs) I like that. All right, Grover Cleveland, America's only president to serve non-consecutive terms. And a horrible person to boot, Cleveland loved beer, drinking as much as a gallon per day at times. He finished his second term in poor health with a huge potbelly, gout, and oral cancer as a result of his beer and cigar habit. Benjamin Harrison. He was a teetotaler, through, though his White House had uh, no booze ban. 
William McKinley. McKinley enjoyed whiskey as a nightcap, though not to excessive levels. It wasn't uncommon for presidents to have drinks named after them, and McKinley's Delight. Mm. That just sounds bad. <laughs> McKinley's Delight was a popular rye and absinthe concoction. Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy didn't drink much, but he loved himself a mint julep. <laughs> he was such a fan of the drink that he planted mint at the White House just so he could cut himself some fresh leaves for a drink. <laughs> See, that just makes me like him even more. I know. It just uh, it sounds so like cozy. And, and, like, what a, oh. and what a drink. I know. It's, it's like sweet. And, yeah. William Howard Taft, despite Taft's thunderous bulk, he was likely America's heaviest president. Likeliest, I think he was. He drank little. <laughs> this was especially true of his time in the White House as he was desperate to lose weight. Woodrow Wilson, while he's the president on whose watch prohibition was passed, it should be noted that Wilson himself vetoed the Volstead Act, which banned booze. Congress overrode his veto, getting the alcohol ban on the books. He was such a devotee of scotch and actually took his campaign song from the advertising jingle of a popular whiskey. <laughs> I don't know what his jingle is. I'll have to research that. Warren Harding, despite prohibition, Harding drank and served whiskey at White House parties. He also is said to have kept a jug in his golf bag, which explains why he was such a terrible golfer. So we talked about this the other day. So during prohibition, you could drink. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't buy or sell it. Buy or sell it. So that's why he could... I mean, but it's so interesting because it's like, really? You just had it... Just had enough... Happened to have it around. On hand... Uh, Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge drank very little in keeping with the spirit of prohibition, but did indulge in a few glasses of sweet Hungarian toque wine with William Randolph Hearst once. Herbert Hoover. Hoover was a wine aficionado, and legend has it he had a fantastic collection, which his wife made him dump when prohibition hit. Ooh. But it's the martini that Hoover truly loved. A longtime rumor has Hoover defying the Volstead Act to go to the Belgium embassy so he could hammer down a few during his beloved happy hours. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, FDR. Roosevelt won the hearts of booze-loving Americans everywhere. First, when he signed a bill legalizing the sale of 3.2 alcohol near beer. Then when he signed the 21st Amendment repealing prohibition, Roosevelt was a cocktail lover who mixed and liberally consumed legendary martinis. He would invite Washington luminaries to happy hours he called Children's Hour to throw down cocktails and gossip. He also enjoyed whiskey-based Manhattans and would sip Bermuda rum swizzles while sailing. And beer was his uh, choice at late night poker games. <laughs> now we're getting into some serious Yeah. Harry Truman. <clears throat> Truman would begin most days in the White House with a health regime that included a walk, massage, and of course, a swig of bourbon. I like that. Usually either old granddad or wild turkey, of course. Wow. Of course it was, Truman. But Truman wasn't a drunk, far from it. His doctor actually recommended a small amount of bourbon to relax and limber the president up. It was for health. <laughs> really, it was for health. While bourbon was Truman's drink of choice, he also was known to have enjoyed the occasional Moscow mule, scotch, and old-fashioned, which he would send back if it wasn't strong enough. Despite the reputation of running a booze-soaked White House, Truman didn't drink all that much. He just enjoyed what he drank. Ike, the stress of his military career led to Eisenhower to have a couple of heart attacks. So his doctor put him on a strict one drink per day limit. He usually picked scotch and was known to have a second, depending on the circumstances. Circumstances. Eisenhower also hosted informal drinking sessions in his tent while deployed stateswide and brewed bathtub gin for his men after prohibition was passed jfk i wonder if people wonder about jfk (laughs) jfk absolutely nobody would be surprised that jfk could and did drink the best stuff with the best people right among kennedy's favorites were the bloody mary daiquiris champagne and imported beer specifically heineken 
Even so, he wasn't a heavy drinker, using it mostly as a social lubricant. Oh, interesting. Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ was a scotch and soda man. Cuddy Sark, specifically. While he wasn't an especially heavily drinker, he was legendary for driving his Lincoln Continental convertible around his Texas ranch, chugging Cuddy and soda from a plastic white plastic cup. When he was running low, he'd slow down, rave a cup out the window, and Secret Service agent would grab it, run it back to their trailing car, refill it, and run it back to Johnson and the Lincoln. Very, very classy. Yeah. Way to go, Johnson. Yeah. All right. Run out of time. But Nixon was a social drinker at first, but as as his resignation drew closer, things got scary. When first in office, he liked a glass or two of expensive wine. Uh, In fact, stories abound of him drinking pricey bottles while serving White House guests cheap stuff with the labels obscured by a towel. He also had a celebrated mishap with the powerful Chinese liquor Mao Tai, which Nixon drank in China and which Dan Rather compared to liquid razor blades. Uh, so there you go. Wow. We didn't, we ran out of time. So we well, cheers uh, everybody. Cheers. And you could drink like a president. Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. (laughs) Go make some history. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for an adventure in history. An adventure in history is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.